Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the I Have Questions for You edition, as my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to answer my questions and yours about the draft, about free agency, about Joe Burrow, about Carson Palmer, and about a whole lot more. The bulk of the questions come from you via Twitter with the new hashtag AskLap. We spent about 40 minutes together, and as is always the case with LAP, it's great stuff. That's straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Wikipedia. I know it can't always be trusted since anybody can write and make changes to a Wikipedia entry, but overall, the Internet Encyclopedia is probably the first place that most of us go to to find out basic information about a subject. And the content is still free with no ads. Plus, sometimes those fake entries are really funny. So, here's to Wikipedia, a useful tool as long as it's not your primary source for a college paper. Now let's get to football, where it's time to Ask Lap. Lap, at this point, all of our podcasts are obligated to begin with a discussion of Joe Burrow. <laughs> so here's my first question for you this week. Give me a percentage. What is the likelihood that the Bengals are going to wind up selecting Joe Burrow number one overall? I think it's got to be in the 90s. I really do. I think I think that I, I don't see a box that he doesn't check, you know. Um, the fact that his, his dad... Coach, I mean, he's he's football. He's a football lifer already at such a young age. He's been around the game so long. Um, you know, the, the the other thing is when all his relationship with his offensive lineman. He talks about a pregame meal, always eating with the offensive lineman. First thing he did at the Heisman uh, presentation was thank his offensive lineman. He just he he just gets it. I think, uh, and it's the you know when. Um, the big difference with him and Herbert that I've I've heard is, and I've asked people about it, is when you say, okay, who are Herbert's friends on the team? They list two or three guys, and they struggle to come up with that list. When you ask, how about Joe? There isn't anybody that doesn't like Joe. Joe's a friend to everybody. He just seems to have that that boomer to him a little bit, you know. I mean, he's got he's he's got the uh, takes over the room. He's the personality guy that everybody gravitates toward. And I think that's a leadership quality that is something that uh, it's a huge X factor for quarterback. And and then you know that 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 huge intangible I think is something that separates him. Plus he's pretty damn good. <laughs> I mean physically. <laughs> I mean you know when you when you complete over you know over seventy five percent of your passes, including the national championship game that brought it down from like seventy eight to about seventy five percent. You're, you're you're getting it done at a very high level. So, and, and you know when I watch a little tape of him, the thing that impresses me about him is his um, feeling that pressure. You know that some guys have that innate ability to sense it and feel it almost without you know eyes in the back of the head kind of thing, and they'll slide step or step up at just the right time. And w- with him, you'll see guys sometimes start to look and peripherally try to catch. He he never does. I'm watching him, and he's just it's almost like. 
it, 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 almost like he has a sense of, of touch that's when they're close to him, he can almost sense him being, you know, a foot away from him or something because all he he has his eyes downfield all the time. I mean, they are trained down the football field, and that that's a that's a good quality um, because, you know, if you you can't take your eyes off the off the target down the football field, he never does, never does. I mean, that was another trait that I'm like, wow, that's that's pretty impressive because he was feeling a pretty significant heat a lot of times and never diverted his eyes. And I'm like, man, that's as a lineman, you you gotta love that and there's no question. And, you know, and then he just he throws the ball accurately to such tight spots. I mean he throws he's straight A quarterback, anticipation and accuracy. You know, he throws it uh before they were you know, come out of their break and puts it to a spot where that's the best spot to throw it for them to catch it. He has so many so many boxes checked, like I said and you know you can you can drive yourself nuts trying to find the negative thing about him. Why do that? You know, just accept it. I mean, he's he's different. Uh, he's he's a, a very rare had a very rare season. Um, accept it. Make your decision that he's the guy. Don't worry. Be happy. Make the pick. <laughs> Move on. Move on. As I told somebody the other day, I'm just happy that Andy Reid got a Super Bowl ring before Burrow begins his run of six in a row. It, it was nice that he was able to get one before the Burrow era begins. You know, and that's that's the interesting thing because as soon as you know Mahomes wins the Super Bowl with Andy Reid, and now they're talking about the forty million dollar contract and what's that going to do to the roster? Because they built a nice roster around him with that rookie contract, and that's what you know you can get done potentially with Joe. You could have him a fixed. Uh, Price of thirty five, thirty six million dollars over a five year time frame potentially, and I mean, that, Mahomes is going to be making more than that on an annual basis. I'm saying forty, forty four million dollars a year. It's crazy. So um, you know we've seen it. We, Flacco wins it, and, and they have to disassemble the team when he gets his hundred million dollar plus payday. And uh, I wonder what's going to happen with Mahomes. We've seen cases of it, and we've seen cases of you know to get, get the young quarterback that you can build around. Put a good roster around him and make your run. Maybe the Bengals can get that done with Joe Burrow. So Joe Burrow got along with everybody, as you mentioned, at LSU and before that at Ohio State. But one of his closest friends was Sam Hubbard. They were hanging out together in Miami for the Super Bowl. And during the course of that, Joe Burrow went on the Dan Patrick Show and was asked about being potentially the number one pick in the draft. And he said, yes, I'd like to be the number one pick. And I want to go to a team that is committed to winning the Super Bowl. And naturally, that set off the alarm bells because it sounds so much like the criticism that Carson Palmer repeats to anybody that will listen. Should we be concerned about those comments by Joe Burrow? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think those are, those are comments that, uh, that a competitor makes and Joe Burrow, the one thing I talked to a couple of his offensive linemen at the senior bowl from LSU, uh, Castleberry and Lewis. And, you know, they both said, in a in as as polite a way or as nice a way as you can be, he'll cut your throat, man. He's a cutthroat competitor. That's Joe Burrow. He'll do whatever it takes. I'm like, man, I love that. I love the sounds of that. So I think you know his competitive spirit is. I had this great year, won the Heisman, we won the national championship. I want to be the first pick in the draft. I want to win a Super Bowl. So I mean, those are just comments that, you know, I want to I want to go where. I have a chance to win a Super Bowl. I I don't think I don't think he was necessarily taking a shot at the Bengals. Uh, he just wanted it to be known that wherever I'm going, let's get ready because I want to win the whole thing. 
and I hope you do too as much yeah. as I do because I do. I want to win it, man. I'm a winner, and I want to keep winning. Stating the obvious, really, can I go off on a little bit of a Carson Palmer rant here? Sure. Because I know you like and respect Carson Palmer. I and, do, and but, but I'm disappointed, Dan. I'm disappointed. I am. You know, the, the, thing, the thing that disappoints me is, and this is, this is the problem that Witt and some of the guys had with Carson Palmer, um, is, you know, all right, it didn't, some, some things may have not gone perfectly the way you wanted it when you were here, but Mike Brown made you the highest paid quarterback in the National Football League. Why was he doing that? Because he thought you were the guy that were going to win him a Super Bowl and win you a Super Bowl. What, what, what problem do you have with that? I, I just don't get it. And I mean, I just, uh, you know, I wish, it, I wish at this point he would back off just, uh, you know, keep showing with, the, with the, the deep sea blows, you know. I mean, just, just ease up, let it go a little bit. So Carson Palmer played for seven years after he left Cincinnati between Oakland and Arizona. Right. In those seven years, his teams won 61 games, I believe. Right. In those same seven years, the Bengals won 65. With Andy Dalton and A.J. With Andy Green. Dalton and A.J. Green. Carson Palmer's teams went to two playoffs. The Bengals went to five. Immediately after he left, they went to five straight playoffs. Furthermore, the Arizona Cardinals, which apparently, according to Carson, are the organization that is you know, committed to doing whatever it takes to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I guess that's what he thinks. They had the number one pick in the draft last year, just as the Bengals have the number one pick in the draft this year. So I get frustrated by any national media member or even Bengals fans, I guess, that take what he says as gospel when there's really no reason to. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the numbers are the numbers. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I do think uh, the team that he led uh, to – a great season, and then he got his knee torn up but in the, in the Pittsburgh Steelers game in the playoffs. I do think that that team could have made a run. Well, hell, it wasn't Mike Brown that caused your problem. It was Kimo von Allhoffen. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, Steinbach not blocking Kimo von Allhoffen well enough if you have to pick a beef on somebody. But, I mean, you know, that injury was tragic. There's no question. I mean, I think that team was a hell of a football team. And wh- what's your beef then? I mean, you know, if, if you if, – if you, get through that football game healthy and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I think could have and should have happened, who won the Super Bowl that year? Pittsburgh Steelers. Come on, man. One more thing. In 2009, he leads the team to the AFC North title, and they sweep the division. Beat Pittsburgh twice, beat Baltimore twice, beat Cleveland twice. The next offseason, they sign Terrell Owens, largely because Carson wanted him. Sure. And that creates the circus that leads to a four and twelve season, and then he quits. I'm telling you, it's a, it is a. Uh, I'd say it's a very one sided memory. Uh, he's got uh, Carson has selective amnesia on on uh, on all sides of it. There are there are multiple sides to every story, no question about yeah. it. Uh, you can you can pick and choose whichever ones. Fit your memory the best. And he's picking and choosing whichever ones fit his memory the best. He did throw a pretty ball, though. Best I've seen. <laughs> I mean, the ball came out of his hand. I'm not kidding you. When I saw him throw, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And Mike Brown, you know, obviously was infatuated. He's always – Mike Brown played quarterback at Dartmouth. He's always loved quarterbacks and throw it. And nobody could spin the pig like Carson Palmer. It was unbelievably beautiful. Let's talk about this year's Super Bowl teams, Kansas City and San Francisco. What can the Bengals learn 
from those two rosters as they try to rebuild and reach that height? Well, in Kansas City's case, they they got the quarterback that can, you know, make miraculous plays. Um, You know, could Joe Burrow be Patrick Mahomes? No, Joe Burrow doesn't have the arm talent that Patrick Mahomes has. There's very few guys, you know, that uh, that do have that kind of arm talent. Is Joe Burrow uh, Jimmy Garoppolo? Hell yeah. I think he's cut above Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, what led the San Francisco 49ers to the Super Bowl? Offensive and defensive line particularly defensive line, five former number one draft picks. And that group for three and a half quarters had Patrick Mahomes on the run and had him playing un-Mahomes-like. But, man, for an eight-minute period, how do you score 21 points in eight minutes? Are you kidding me? You scored 28 points in the second quarter against the Titans, never, never been done in the playoffs before, and followed up with 21 points in a half a quarter, basically, in the Super Bowl. He's, he's, really, he's really a remarkable talent. Mahomes is, but uh, the San Francisco 49ers almost won the Super Bowl because of their defense, their ability to run the football, and um, you know not put too much on the quarterback. Kansas City won the Super Bowl because they have a freakazoid at the quarterback position, and you know, but they did they pick up Honey Badger in free agency. I mean, they they made some moves. They got some pieces. Um, you know, they they improved their defense. In free agency, the draft as well. They signed Steve Spagnuolo to to coach it. Um, you know, he did a great job. So it it can, it can be done. Uh, the Forty ers went from four and twelve to the Super Bowl. It's happened. Coach the Senior Bowl, then coach the Super Bowl same year. Absolutely, and um, you know I, that's why this this Senior Bowl thing. I you know um, Mike Mayock is when he got me all juiced up down there because you know he said man. Senior Bowl, we just down here last year, six players, four we coached, two we coached the ends. Every one of them, we had them cold, every one of them. They all made our team. They all made contributions. That's the mother load. You know, they hit the mother load. There's no doubt about it. But we'll see if the Bengals' uh, experience down there at the Senior Bowl can help them, you know, put some pieces together. As great as Mahomes was in the playoffs and in the final six and a half minutes of the Super Bowl this year, to me, what's even more impressive still is last year's AFC Championship game, 31 points in the second half against the Bill Belichick defense. He just never got the ball in overtime. Un- unbelievable. And I think everybody thinks that if they had won the toss, he probably would have taken them for a touchdown mm-hmm. and it made the Super Bowl. And, you know, if D. Ford lines up onside, they're in the Super Bowl two years in a row. And ironically, D. Ford playing against them with the, with the San Francisco 49ers, it was a little twist of uh, twist of fate there. But, yeah, I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs have a – have a generational talent at the quarterback position. You're not a Twitter guy, but I have started a new hashtag on Twitter, Ask Lap. <laughs> I have invited people to ask questions when we get together for podcasts. So I've got a bunch of them today. Are you ready? Ready to roll. All right. This comes from T. Justin. What Bengals free agent is essential to re-sign? Boy. I mean, you know, I, th- I think – I think the whole thing hinges on AJ Green. I think I think he is the king domino. If they can get something done with AJ Green, I think everything else falls into place. If if they can't, um, you know, then 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 now you're talking about do we tag him? Other we cause ill will? Are there problems there? I think I think AJ Green is the is the centerpiece. And um, if that could happen, I mean, I think Joe Mixon is an ascending player. 
you got to sign Joe, uh, but he's not a free agent, but uh, extend him. I, I wouldn't let him get to that last year of his contract, but I, I think the uh, the biggest component uh, right now is, is the A.J. Green factor. If you have to tag him, tag him and trade him or play it out and hope that you can get a deal done down the road? Yeah, I, I think I think that uh, I'm not sure I tag him and trade him. I tag him and see what I – I, I think – that he is going to come back and play like AJ Green can play, and I mean, if you've if you've got a guy that, and I know he's starting to get a little bit long in the tooth, but he's a freak athlete now. Honestly, I mean, you look at his body. Other than okay, he's had some injuries uh, down the stretch here, and this this ankle injury. It is a joint, you know, um, but he has, has not had any knee reconstructions or anything like that. So he's still pretty intact, and he's an elite athlete. He's a world-class athlete. When you have a guy like that that is a proven commodity and you trade him for a 50-50 proposition as a draft pick, um, not every wide receiver that was drafted in the first round has panned out. We've seen more busts than guys that can play. This guy not only has proven he can play, he's proven he can play at the highest level in in the National Football League. I mean, he's one of your greatest players of all time. Until I know that he's not that guy anymore, I don't throw him away. I just don't do it. I don't know. I'd I'd make sure that uh, I I would have exhausted every potential because, man, I I just know you. every player you talk to in that locker room, even the last year's, you know, catastrophe and debacle, they all still love what he does. The leader he is in, in a quiet way, you know, just by his actions. His actions speak so much louder than his words. And every teammate, every coach, Everybody in the organization doesn't just like A.J. Green. They love A.J. Green. So, I mean, it could have it could have gotten ugly and nasty. Didn't even come close. That tells me something about him, too. Um, I don't give up on A.J. Green that fast. Next question comes from John. I like this one. If Miami offered all three of its first-round picks this year, plus a third-rounder this year, and a number one next year, would you trade the number one overall pick. Well, I would I would think that Miami is targeting Joe Burrow, and at that point I would say, what am I missing? If they want to give me all of that for Joe Burrow, that should solidify my feelings about Joe Burrow. So I'd be careful, you know. I'd, I'd certainly be tempted, but I'd be careful. And okay, so that fifth pick, who's there? Well, Herbert, who I saw and like, but. I think, you know, some of the mock drafts that are coming out now that I'm seeing have him as a mid-first-round pick, and that's what I heard a lot of people talking about down there. And, um, you know, Todd McShay is down there all week getting information, and so I, he's probably hearing, talking to a lot of the same people I was talking to, and a lot of people had Herbert as a, as a mid-first-rounder, and it looks like it may Indianapolis is the latest destination for him, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so, okay, you take Herbert at five? If you take two, you'll get crucified. If you take another injured guy with your first-round pick after the run you've been on with guys, uh, selecting guys and, you know, hurt before they were uh, drafted but not hurt that badly with the pack with Billy Price, um, and and then Jonah, and not, you know, you pick Jonah, he's played. And Billy and Jonah both have this remarkable stretch of uh, availability, accountability, durability, every ability, and, man, they can't get through their rookie years, you know, and uh, and John Ross, and I mean the list, the litany goes on and on. And if you draft Tua, and it's like you may have to redshirt him for a year, 
I guess at that point you made a decision you're keeping Andy Dalton for the last year of his contract. If you make that trade and, and you're going to take two at number five, you've made a decision there. And you cross your fingers that two is going to be – and let's face it, when he was healthy, he was a star. There's no question about it. And the guy, the guy is, is accurate. I mean, he's a left-handed Drew Brees, in my opinion, with his accuracy, pinpoint accuracy. So, you know, that's <laughs> – it might be tempting, but, oh, my gosh, if, if Miami's willing to give all that up to get Joe Burrow, you may have to say to yourself, why are you letting this dude go if they think that highly of him? Throw in another first round of the next year, and maybe we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question comes from Tyler. What player or players will be cut or traded before free agency? Well, you've you got to think that you know they're going to try to move Andy Dalton. And, um, and if, they, if they move Andy Dalton, if they're making a, a concerted effort to move Andy Dalton, they're drafting Joe Burrow. Because I think that um, they, they expect Joe Burrow to be able to play right away. And I can understand why. Um, in, in, the, in this era of young quarterbacks. Look at the young quarterbacks, quarterbacks that were drafted last year. They play. I mean, they draft them and they play them, you know. Um, here in the recent past, obviously, now you'll have cases of Mahomes, for example. You know, Smith played for a year for Mahomes. Um, Carson Palmer, you know, sat for John Kittner. I mean, we do have some history of those kind of things taking place. But I think I think if they make the determination to take Joe Burrow, who had the best year of any college quarterback in the history of college football, they're, they're anticipating he is going to play. He's the guy. And I think out of respect to Andy Dalton, who they value as a person and what he's done for the organization, they don't want him to have to sit the pine, you know, ride it, ride it out. I think they Andy wants to start. He's verbalized that. They understand that. And I think they will try to make a deal, you know, and trade Andy Dalton. Now, the question is, what will the market bear? Um, they may want whatever they would want for Andy Dalton, but if nobody's going to offer it to him, will they pull the trigger and make the trade? That's going to be the interesting point. Sometimes the Bengals' value on a player and the league's value on a player don't coincide. I've been thinking fourth-round pick, fifth-round pick, based on the Joe Flacco and uh, Ryan Tannehill deals the last uh, year or two, but... Mike Lombardi, the former NFL GM, brought up the Alex Smith trade and said he thinks that Andy Dalton could get the same thing that the Chiefs got, or close to it, from the Redskins when they traded Alex Smith. And that was a good player, Kendall Fuller, and a third-round draft pick. I mean, if the Bengals could get that, an established player and a third-rounder, probably even just a third-rounder alone, uh, they would be thrilled, I would think. Oh, hell yeah. I'd do that deal in a heartbeat. Um you know, a starting caliber corner and, and a third-round pick, definitely. You know, I mean, Andy came in the league as a uh, as a second-rounder. Alex Smith came in the league as the first pick in the draft. So, you know, where they came into the league is, is a little bit, you know, different from a distortion point on what perceived value might be. Because Alex Smith has had success, Andy Dalton's had success, but, you know, uh, where they came into the league is, is a little different starting point. Man, if they could get... If you get a third-round pick for Andy Dalton, I'd I'd take that deal before the ink dried. I mean, I I would I'd, I'd sign it in any kind of ink I could sign it, and maybe blood. <laughs> <laughs> the next question comes from Christian. Will well, we kind of covered this, but uh, the question's slightly different. Will the Bengals keep Dalton as a bridge quarterback, given the Chiefs' success with Alex Smith? 
mentoring Patrick Mahomes for one year before that trade to the Redskins, and the Bengals' history with John Kitten and Carson Palmer. You know, I, I think one of the big differences with Patrick Mahomes and, um, and Joe Burrow, Mahomes ran a, quote, gimmick offense at Texas Tech. You know, the, the spread stuff, Mike Leach's stuff, you know, that Cliff Kingsbury played quarterback for Mike Leach and that, that whole evolution at Texas Tech. Everybody after Mike Leach still, you know, went with that almost, you know, uh, the run and shoot spread type look. Um, Joe Burrow, courtesy of Joe Brady, who they got from the New Orleans Saints, ran the Saints offense. So I think Joe Burrow has shown that he can run uh, a very successful style of offense in the passing attack in particular that the New Orleans Saints have employed with Drew Brees. Drew Brees, very quick study. Joe Burrow, very quick study. I mean, I think that, that that's another thing that when the Bengals look at Joe Burrow, they're like, man, he processes so quickly. And Andy's been great with that. That's Andy's, I think it's, that's Andy's biggest attribute. Might be Joe Burrow's biggest attribute, the way they can process information. And the fact that he was able to digest the New Orleans Saints passing attack and implement it as well as he did, I think bodes well for his transition to be a little bit faster you know, than Patrick Mahomes' might have been. Other key thing to remember, too, when the Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes, they were a playoff team already. Right. Alex Smith was doing an excellent job. He led them to the playoffs in Patrick Mahomes' rookie year. So unlike the situation that Joe Burrow or, or somebody else would be entering, they were not ready to turn things over right away because they had a good team and a quarterback that was playing well. Well, I, I can remember, you know um, – I can remember when the Chiefs did draft Patrick Holmes. A lot of people's initial reaction was, what? Why? You got your guy. What are you doing? And a lot of people were like, you know, when they traded Alex Smith, why are you doing that? Wow, I mean, is this guy really that good? Um, I will say, you know, some people had a, had a pretty good handle on on what uh, I think it was Leach is the guy's name with the Kansas City Chiefs that saw every snap Patrick Mahomes had. I think Veach Man. with a Veach. V. Yeah, yeah, Veach with a GM um, down there um, taking a look at every snap he had at Texas Tech, you know, and said, this guy's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. And Andy Reid looked at him, and when he saw him in person, he sees like <laughs> second coming of Brett Favre with the arm talent and the same type of gunslinger mentality and everything. So they were sold. But a lot of people were like, what are you doing? But they certainly knew what they were doing, <laughs> no doubt about it. And, and like you said, how they, they manipulated that whole thing about as well as they could have. I mean, they get Alex Smith in free agency. He leads them to playoffs. Um, they, they get their young guy that's going to take his place. They get good value in the trade for Alex Smith. And then he has the tragic injury after he leaves. But, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, the way they manipulated that whole dynamic – Man, at the most important position in all of professional sports, that's why they won the Super Bowl. Question from Greg. If you had to compare Joe Burrow to a current or former NFL quarterback, who would it be? Boy, you know, I, 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 bet, I bet Joe Brady would say that he sees a lot of Drew Brees and Joe Burrow. Um, and not necessarily – I mean, they're much different. Joe Burrow is 6'3", Drew Brees is 6 feet, you know, if, if 6 feet or whatever he is. Um, but – you, you look at, uh, at, at Joe Burrow has kind of underrated quick twitch. So does Drew Brees with, with respect to throwing the football and, and doing some things. Now he's a lot older now, Drew Brees is, but um, I, I think 
processing information, you know, being able to spit it back out, all the all the things, the mental capacity for the game um, is. I think there's a lot of similarities there. So I, I would take a six foot three inch Drew Brees. <laughs> they both throw with. I mean, Brees has got a, a good arm, but it's not like oh howitzer. But boy, does he throw with anticipation and accuracy. That's what Joe Burrow does, and uh, I, I would take that. Uh, I would take that kind of career that Drew Brees has had. There's no doubt. From Bengals nut, what realistic free agent do you see the Bengals pursuing? That's a that's a great question. I know who I'd like to see him pursue. Joe Schobert. Ding, 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 Wisconsin. <laughs> Cleveland you, Browns linebacker. Cleveland Browns linebacker. And we've seen him, um, and he's he's a, <laughs> he's a tremendous football player. I, I'd like to see. I'd like to see two Wisconsin Badgers, Dan. I'd least like to see Joe Schobert in uh, in free agency, and I'd like to see Zach Bond, a linebacker out of Wisconsin, 6'3", 235-pounder, who is a high school quarterback who understands, you know, every nuance of the game, obviously. Reminds me of a guy named Ed O'Neill. When I played at Syracuse, this guy, Ed O'Neill, played at Penn State. High school quarterback. You know, big six foot four inch strapping lad. Well, Paterno says we're you know you we've got quarterbacks you're a great athlete we want to play you at linebacker Ed O'Neill's like linebacker they played him an inside linebacker in their four four defense and I'll tell you what now he, he was he was something else he was a good, really, first round draft pick the Tr- Detroit Lions so when I saw that this Zach Baum had played uh, Bond had played li- uh, high school quarterback I'm thinking man is this another Ed O'Neill and it's he's 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 similar. Dimensionally, 6'3", 235, it will get bigger. Ed O'Neill was, you know, in that range, 235, 240-ish. But then he came into the league and he got as big as 245 to 250. I mean, I, I, could, I, could, see, I could see some comparison there. But uh, draft a Wisconsin Badger, sign a Wisconsin Badger in free agency. And, uh, and I, think, I think, you know, you've got position versatility uh, in, in both cases. I think they're both good enough athletes. Bond... I think, you know, I would play him at inside backer, but I think he could play outside as well. He could certainly play in your sub packages. Schobert does that for the Cleveland Browns. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the top two free agent linebackers last year, C.J. Mosley and Quan Alexander. Mosley played in two games for the Jets. Quan Alexander was part of a Super Bowl team in San Francisco, right. but he played in eight games after only playing six the year before so I know I mean I'm like everybody else I would love to see the Bengals sign an impact linebacker if they can but it's always buyer beware it is there's no doubt about it Schobert um, has got a good experience level but it's not like he's still got rubber on the tire there's no doubt about that I think he's he's into his prime but he's not past his prime which I think is be a a, but he's going to command some bucks He's he's a hell of a player all right, let's get back to Ask Lap questions via Twitter from James. How does Jonah Williams compare to this year's offensive tackle uh, class in the draft? I think very favorably. You know, uh, down at the, the Senior Bowl, um, they were all over this Josh Jones out of Houston. You've seen him, Dan. Mm-hmm. Six foot seven, 310 pounder, very athletic guy. He's, he's, um, but he's only got 32 and eighth inch arms. I couldn't believe it. And I, you know, I looked. I thought his arms look a little short. But they were. I mean, I'm not saying T-Rex, but, <laughs> but the, the thing I, I, when watching him play, he had 
Um, quiet, patient feet. They were really good and very active hands, boy. Now, he made up for his lack of length of his arms by how quick he was with his hands. And I, I think I think he was probably the one that most people were drooling over down at the Senior Bowl. I like our guy. I think he he can – now, he's not 6'7", and uh, he's not – you know, he – Jonah will struggle to be 300 pounds. He's not over 300 pounds every day of the year. But he's, he's is he big enough? I think he is. Um, he has really good feet. He has big feet, size 17. He has, he has a good foundation, a good base, but he can move those puppies. You know, he's not, he's not a plodding, dead-footed guy. He's got good feet, and, and he's a great technician. And uh, I'll tell you, Dan, I'm sold on, you know, he had his spreadsheets that he came up with to, you know, to scout opponents while in college. And watching him off the field, everything he did, preparing like he was going to play in the game, um, all of his – I mean, he had the Bengals offensive line coaches were saying, give us that information. Give us your spreadsheet. What are you doing? I've never seen this. How are you doing that? And then in, during the game, he would position himself – where he could look right through the formation and see the left tackle, whoever was playing left tackle in the defensive end. And then he, in his mind, he would you know, say, this is how I'm going to set and the technique I'm going to use and then see how it all unfolded. This kid's the real deal. This kid is all football all the time. And I, I was impressed with the impact he made instead of you know, kind of feeling sorry for himself and moping around and pouting. He, he gave a lot. I mean, he was, he was making – the, the tackles that were playing in the football game were listening to Jonah Williams, what he had to say during the week, and implementing a lot of it. I mean, the kid, the kid's a sharp cat. There's no question about it. If college students had laptops in 1974, you would have done that. <laughs> I'm serious. You would have had a spreadsheet and evaluated the, the people that you were trying to block. I, I would have tried to come up with yeah, some way to um, put, put it all together in, a, in, a, in an easy form maybe. Something. I, I, did, I did enjoy – you know, tracking and charting, you know, percentage of times that he's going to swim. If he, you know, if he, if his feet are parallel, you know, he's going to go inside more than outside. If his feet are staggered, you know, all that sort of thing. I would have started tracking some of that stuff. I knew sure. it. I knew it. <laughs> all right, question from Brian. We keep hearing about the new culture that Zach Taylor is trying to create. Was the culture bad under Marvin Lewis, and did it have to change? I don't think it was bad. I, 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 think, I think Marvin changed the culture um, – to the good, uh, way to the good. You know, he came here a 2-14 and 14 mess, and right away they're 8-8 eight and eight and they're a playoff contender. And he changed the culture overnight, and, and, um, and, he, and he kept working on keeping that culture. It was always a, a big, thing to, big thing to him. But just like anything, 16 years of it, I think it started to get stale with some guys. So I think even though he was trying to reinvent it some, uh, there got to be a – a, a little bit of a stale uh, dimension to it, and I think this culture, um, the the one thing that the, they they stayed was engaged. You know, even without success, they the two things that uh, you heard uh, were the team was connected. You know, and and that that was a that was a, a big word and and try to be complimentary in their play, and sometimes they were, and sometimes that was their biggest problem playing non complimentary football instead of complimentary football, but. If you can get the two C's, you know, be connected and play, uh, you know, complimentary style of ball, you, you can win some football games, and I think they're striving toward that. Two ask lap questions left from Brett. Who are some of the top targets the Bengals should be considering 
with the 33rd pick in the draft. In other words, the first pick of the second round. Yeah, I mean, going with the quarterback uh, that everybody thinks they'll go with, obviously, and, and I do too at this point in time. Um, you know, I think, all right, what are, the, what are the two areas that come to mind from an improvement standpoint? Offensive line, linebacker, those, you know, on either side of the football. Although, you know, defensively, they could take, they could take a shot in the arm in any position level. Duke Tobin pretty much confirmed that down at the Senior Bowl that I mean, we could take an influx of talent at any level of the, of the defense and, and be satisfied with it. So I think with that 33rd pick, the best defensive player that's on the board, um, unless, again, it's such a deep wide receiver group, if you've got six wide receivers that you say are first-rounders and only five of them go and there's the sixth one still there at number 33 – Man, you got to think about it. And, and th- this is where it gets interesting too, Dan, is that, you know, okay, well, how many teams are going to call the Bengals with a, with a trade for Joe Burrow? Maybe not any. How many are going to call the Bengals in day two with the 33rd pick? A lot. Because when, when the first round's done and everybody shifts their, sets their board, well, maybe the best receiver in the job. Somebody desperately needs a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm going to make a trade. I'm going to call the Bengals. I'm going to give you this, this, and this to get to that 33rd pick. And you have to say, okay, uh, so here are some of the best defensive players on the board. Will they be there? How far? I can't move further back than this, this, or this. But I'm going to pick up these additional picks. I think it's going to happen at, at, at 33. I think it's going to happen at 65. Because you know, the second and third round. So to start the fourth round, the 95th pick in the draft, the Bengals have made. Uh, uh, trades in the fourth round, trying to get up to the top of the board to start the day. Every new day of the draft, the Bengals are going to have people calling because they have the first pick in that new day of the draft. First round, then the second and third the next day. Who starts the second round? Bengals. Who starts the fourth round on day three? Bengals. So, I mean, I, I think I think they've got some draft capital that people are going to have some interest in, and I don't think they're going to just have seven draft picks when this draft is over with. That's my conjecture on it, but um, I, maybe the, is the best linebacker available at 33 better than the best rush guy on the board or the best you know wide receiver or the best interior offensive lineman? I mean, I'm thinking the 33rd pick, if I can get the best defensive player as opposed to the best interior offensive lineman, I'm going best defensive football player. I mean, there has to be a big disparity there mm-hmm. for it to, to be otherwise to me, so... Uh, I, I think they're going to be obviously in good positions to, you know, in, in coaching in the Senior Bowl. They may have been coaching their 33rd pick, their 65th pick, their 95th pick, whatever. They may have been coaching those guys. They may have, they may, they may take a couple of those guys in those four picks that that played in the Senior Bowl. And Joe Burrow, they tried to get to play in the Senior Bowl. If they take Joe at number one, and. Uh, and, and two other guys they played with or coached against in the Senior Bowl in the first four rounds, it would be worthwhile to have been down there at that Senior Bowl. Final question from a Twitter follower. This is from James. When are you becoming an offensive line coach? <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's funny. When, when down there at the, at the Senior Bowl, it, it does, when you see guys of that, of that caliber – going after each other it's it kind of gets the juices flowing it does you know um you know it's i, I james is that who this this mm-hmm. co- james you, you've hit on probably my maybe my biggest regret is that i did not 
try the coaching side of it. And it would have been the best time to do it would have been after I was done playing and could have forced Greg, could have been an opportunity. There are opportunities, uh, you know, uh, had cropped up at the college level when I was doing some college football for Fox. Uh, just had a recent opportunity um, that, you know, that decided not to do. But I think going from it's it, it, it used to be you never went from player to broadcast to coach. Once you went to the broadcast, you went to the devil, man. You know, it's like you decided that, that's it. You, you, there's no there's no return. You can't buy a get out of a jail card. Now it's it happens. I mean, co- not only posi- co- head coaches, GMs, everybody. Uh, it's 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 wide open. The talent pool it's not segregated anymore. It's a wide open talent pool. So, yeah, I, I wish I had done it at a younger age because that's the one thing that is always going to haunt me. Could I have done it? I I know I would have liked it. Could I have done it successfully? I feel like I could have. How far could you have gone with it? You know, questions that will never be answered. So, James, you hit the nerve, man. You hit the nerve. <laughs> you would have been great at that, but we all know you're awesome at broadcasting. And I, for one, am grateful you made the choice you made. Well, I'll tell you what. It's it's a pleasure uh, working with a Hall of Famer, you know, on a, on a weekly basis. I can tell you that. And uh, I don't even look at it as work, Dan. I mean, to me, it's like, man, we're just we're just we're having fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. I wish everybody's job lent them as much, uh, you know, joy and fun and everything else as, as we have with ours. It's like, like I've, I've told my kids that, you know, I, I, the, my one wish would be that, that your, quote, job, your vocation, your avocation and vocation would be the same thing like mine's been for most of my life. And if, as we anticipate, the Bengals select Joe Burrow on April the 23rd, Think how much fun training camp is going to be. Oh, man, it's going to be. It will be. It'll be a lot of fun. They say that this guy is, he's the real deal. His girlfriend lives right up here in Mason. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was um, that was interesting. UC came so close, so close. And your boy was recruiting the girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to him down at the senior ball. Mm-hmm. Luke Fickle yeah. was speaking up. Yeah, Luke. And, and I, you know, I, I said, boy, it was that close. I mean, Dan told me. You know, Burrow. Oh, he said, "Dude, it was it was us in LSU. It was us." And he, and he said, "I was recruiting." I said, "The girlfriend living right in Mason." He goes, "Oh man, you don't think that was part of my strategy?" I'm like, "Come on now, you let him go to Louisiana. These long distance relationships sometimes don't work out." But what a great guy Luke is, by the way, and what a great job he's done. But um, yeah, that's it, it. Makes so many so much sense on so many levels. I mean, his girlfriend lives right here in Mason. Get drafted by the Bengals. The wedding in Mason. <laughs> Sam Hubbard, best man. Sam Hubbard, best man. That's a bit presumptuous, but they are they are good buddies. <laughs> be in the wedding party, maybe. So uh, you know, that that would be that would be uh, that would be nice. I really would. That'd be a that'd be a heck of a a heck of a draft to get uh, to get Joe Burrow in the fold. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or share a comment. Those five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.